0: After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David versus Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits.
1: Welcome to another episode of the David vs. Goliath podcast. I'm Matt Dolman with my partner in crime, Stan Guy. Stan? Hey, we're glad to
2: be here today. And I think today we're going to do a little bit of a discussion, aren't we, about jury misconduct?
1: Yeah, that's the first topic we're going to discuss today is jury misconduct. And this comes to light, you know, after the Ghislaine Maxwell verdict. And I'm not sure, you know, how many viewers or listeners have paid attention to news in recent weeks that Ghislaine Maxwell, who was the madam to Jeffrey Epstein, after the verdict, two different jurors now, now there's a second juror has come out, have been interviewed by the press and they discussed their prior sexual abuse and how it framed the deliberations in the juror room. And that is grounds for a potential mistrial. And the motion is expected to be filed by Gislaine Maxwell's counsel in the coming days. Presently they're looking for they're looking into uh, the actual jury questionnaire and whether those two jurors filled out the jury questionnaire properly as they were asked to disclose any prior sexual abuse, not only to themselves. But to any friends, family members or colleagues and one juror has already told The New York Times that he, he ran through it very quickly and, and may have glossed over some of the questions.
2: Yeah, you know, you, you look at this and for those people who may maybe aren't familiar with this case, and I don't think there's very many people that aren't familiar with it. This is a case involving sex trafficking and minors. Okay. And when someone's uh, tried before a juror of their peers, they're entitled to be tried by people who are neutral on those issues. Correct. Okay. And that's really what the issue comes down to here. As attorneys, when we walk into the courtroom, you've put, you know, sometimes thousands of hours into a case. You've always got thousands, tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars into the case, and you're taking it very, very seriously. Jurors, on the other hand, are there with a summons. Many of them don't want to be there. Many of them resent the fact that they're there and may or may not take the obligation quite as seriously as they should.
1: Now, Stan is Stan Guype's a board certified civil trial lawyer. That basically means he's designated by the Florida Bar as an expert in civil trial advocacy. In order to become an expert, you have to try a certain amount of cases and express competence through a. I think it's a written examination and also the affirmation of is it two attesting judges or one. Yeah, you got to get multiple testing judges and opposing counsel that say basically you know what you're doing. And I have tried plenty of cases myself, and you're an even more experienced trial lawyer. In your experience, I mean, have you ever ever dealt with jury misconduct or potential juror misconduct?
2: You know, we've dealt with juror misconduct during the questioning phase, okay. where a juror would not listen to the judge's instruction during questioning, poisoned a whole jury panel and a whole jury pool. We ultimately had to mistry that case because
1: we couldn't get another. What do you mean by he, you know, I understand what you mean, but what do you mean by poisoning the jury pool?
2: Well, what this was is we had questions about what we're entitled to neutral people, people who come Mm -hmm. to the courtroom with no feelings one way or the other about our case. Okay, I had a particular case where the one of the defense doctors had treated one of the jurors husbands. Okay, so you ask the question. Does anyone know this doctor? Anyone know any of the witnesses? The juror wait, raises her hand and the um, judge says, OK, madam, well, we'd, we'd like to get your opinions You know, outside of the hearing of the other jurors. Please wait for the jurors to leave the room. She goes, no, we don't need to do that. He's a fantastic doctor. My husband loves him. And then suddenly, OK, we've got all these other jurors sitting here saying the defense expert is fantastic. And I'm going, oh, man, how do I fix this? You know, you really can't, because once the cat's out of the bag, you know, we're kind of done. And the defense expert's going to be directly opposed to my expert, so you really can't fix it. And that poisoned the whole jury. Most of the time, though, what happens is after we get a verdict, we never hear from the jury again. Correct. You know, it's usually not where, you know, the New York Times or the Post aren't, aren't interviewing my jurors. You know, they're not out there giving publicity. So we don't find out a lot of times that they lied or didn't take their jury selection or their, their forms, didn't fill them out correctly. We just don't find out that information.
1: Correct. So Stan and I, we the majority of the cases we try, there's, there's civil jury trials, first of all. That's, there's criminal and civil, and they generally range in the area. It's a whole gamut of personal injury matters from slip and falls to car accidents to premises liability, negligence, security. These are cases that are generally not newsworthy unless there's exceptional set of facts, correct?
2: Correct, correct. But, you know, like in this case, the juror misconduct, as I understand it, is apparently one of these jurors actually said that they used their own experience with sexual molestation as a victim to help sway the other jurors in
1: reaching their verdict. Yeah, and the second juror described the New York Times interview and its quotes here, having been sexually abused and such experience was discussed during deliberations and the revelation appeared to have shaped the jury's discussion.
2: Yeah, well, that's that's exactly
1: what you're trying to avoid. And the huge issue, the controlling issue, is going to be the jury questionnaire and where they disclose their prior experience of being abused or if they knew of any colleagues, friends, family members that have been abused as well.
2: Yeah, and, and you, when you think about it, I mean, you know, sexual abuse, a horrible thing. Okay, It's bad. No one's going to say it's good. And it's so bad that if it happens to someone, it's likely to leave such a resonating feeling in their head, some subconscious feelings that they feel like they need to act on. They need to right the wrong that's been done to them. Hey, here's someone else who's getting sexually molested. I'm not letting this person get away with it.
1: Agreed. It's going to create a visceral response.
2: And while you never want a molester, you never want anyone to get away with it, you want a fair trial because. What we got to understand is before they're convicted, they're not a sexual molester. They're just a person. Yep. Okay. You can't assume that they're guilty until after the fact, and that's where we have the problem.
1: In my experience, in 2013, we were trying a case in uh, downtown Clearwater. For those who are not familiar, that's an area of Clear of uh, Florida in the Tampa Bay area. And uh, one of the jurors during a uh, lunch hour had consumed three alcohol beverages, and we moved immediately for a mistrial. He fell asleep too, and it wasn't granted. And we got a verdict, but it wasn't a verdict that we were expecting on the case. It was still a decent verdict, but not, not quite what we wanted. And uh, we thought that was a controlling factor. A judge felt otherwise.
2: Yeah, and you got to realize when, when jurors get into this, you're answering questions, okay? You're swearing to tell the truth, mm-hmm. okay? This is if you're not honest, if you're dishonest, if you conceal facts or misrepresent facts, I mean, that's a crime. And rarely do people get prosecuted for it occasionally when it's egregious, but it's a crime and I don't think jurors necessarily always come in with enough sort of perception of the duty that they've got.
1: And the reason why they're not prosecuted generally, I would assume, is that the judicial system is worried about having the chilling effect of uh, scaring individuals off of serving on jury panels.
2: Correct. And then, you know, the Giselaine Maxwell case is probably a little bit of an anomaly, Because we do have a situation where most of our cases, Matt, and you'll probably agree with me, we're dealing with jurors who don't want to get on the jury. Correct. We're dealing with people who want to figure out how to get off the jury. So they're not hiding something.
1: Yeah, car accidents, slip and fall, premises liability cases are not sexy.
2: Yes. You know, but when you got Ghislaine Maxwell, you got people who want to be a part of the mix. People who want to be, you know, it's the thing to do. I mean- You know, you get to be one of the famous jurors, so you probably have a little bit more penchant for people to be slightly dishonest, bend the facts, gloss over those questions that they think might disqualify them.
1: 100%. What are the most common issues that you would see in terms of jury misconduct or juror misconduct in civil trial, personal injury cases?
2: Okay, we kind of have, you know, two sort of things. One, the main misconduct is really two ways. One is is failure to disclose relevant issues on the front end, just like we had right here. A failure to disclose that there was some sexual molestation. You know, a lot of times, Matt, and you know this is an issue. Uh, racial prejudices can be a big issue in America today. That's one of the very, i have in all of my cases, okay, we know that there's prejudice out there. Mm -hmm. I've only ever had one juror raise a hand and say, yeah, I'm prejudiced. You know, and it was it was really it was it was almost stunning. You know, when you raised he raised his hand, you're like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I've got a problem with black people. I don't like black people. And, you know, it's a good thing that, you know, regardless of how you feel about that feeling. okay. thank goodness he shared it with us because my client was black and I didn't want him on the jury. You know, so rarely do people share those kind of facts because it can be embarrassing to stand up in a room full of people and say the
1: stigma of other people viewing you and judging you.
2: Yeah, I've got a predisposed thing, or, well, yeah, I was sexually molested, okay? People may not want to say that in a room full of people, and they hide it because of embarrassment. The other thing we get is researching the case outside of the courtroom. Inevitably, in the land of Google that we live in, If you've got a question, if something piques your curiosity, what's the first thing you do? You Google it and you go down a rabbit hole.
1: No question about it.
2: Okay, well, these jurors have been watching us as attorneys all day long, watching the clients all day long. The first thing they want to do when they get home is Google and find out about us. What's their personal life like? What else did they do? All of these things. Google the scenes of the accident, see what they can find out and really investigate this stuff. You know, that's prohibited. The judge tells jurors they're not allowed to do that. But every juror knows once they get into their house at the end of the day, the likelihood of someone catching them
1: is really, really slim. But if the suspicion is there, we can then investigate and dig into their what they were doing in their private time. That's, that's the problem. It rubbed both ways.
2: But yeah, it's exact. We can dig into it, but the, the suspicion has to be there. So, you know, you have to figure out how you pick up on that. But that's true. I mean, you go out there, people will, you know, go out there, research things, find out things about uh, clients, plaintiff or defendant. Okay, let's just say you're out there and you've got someone who was arrested for a crime that's wholly unrelated to this incident. Well, that could really upset one of the jurors. They go out there, look at it, and suddenly they're taking things into account. They're considering facts that aren't in front of all the jurors. The conviction or the verdict, whichever kind of criminal or civil
1: side of the law you're
2: on, it may not be valid. And all the work that went into getting this stuff done, all the work from the attorneys, the money, all of this stuff is for naught.
1: There's no question that taints a verdict.
2: So, I mean, and really, we've talked about this before. Jury selection is probably one of the most, if not the most important part of the case.
1: We're on the same page.
2: Yeah, that, those six people or seven people with an alternate that are sitting in the box and make decisions, they're like six people with driver's license. They're just driving up and down the road. Uh, they're not attorneys. They're not actuaries. They're not adjusters. They are normal people, okay? And normal people are swayed by their emotions more than the facts. Yeah. 100% agree. It's not the scar on the face. It's whether the scar is on the face of a two-year-old girl or, you know, an eighty, a 60-year-old construction worker. Same injury, but it's the emotional impact that drives verdicts. So when we're picking out, you know, the the plaintiff, when we're dealing with auto accidents, we're always trying to find people that we feel are more likely to be empathetic.
1: Which during this climate, by the way, and not getting into any political discussion, but you're more likely to get Republicans on a jury panel who are not worried or as fearful of COVID. And that creates a much more slanted jury in favor of the, the defense, the insurance companies.
2: You know, and that's that's what we've been thinking. You know, anecdotally though, when I've been speaking to people who've you know been trying a number of cases in this uh, atmosphere, they're saying they're not necessarily seeing that. So you know, I'm not. That that's your thought. Hey, you know, the people we want are typically liberal, um, and those people are you know typically masked and they're and they're scared of COVID. So the natural thought is, hey, these people aren't going to show up. And whether or not that's the case, I don't know, but it seems like like the fear that we were talking about with jury verdicts going down because we've got, you know, really conservative people out there, whether we've been fortunate or lucky to avoid it, or it's just, you know, the anecdotal stories I've heard about, it hadn't played out so far.
1: Agreed. This is just I don't have any anecdotal experience. It's just what I've heard that probably was going to happen. It's been projected by uh, many of the lobbying, for, you know, forces for trial lords including the Florida Justice Association, but I haven't actually seen it play out.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, one last thing I kind of will mention while we're doing this is mm-hmm. the land of Zoom. OK, like with podcasts, what we're doing now, well, it's great because we can go back. We can fix this. We don't have to live on the fly. No one's being sentenced to die. You know, there's no massive decisions being made. But when you've got six jurors, sometimes more than that, that have to be dialed into a case, okay, the the potential for misconduct when you've got them sitting on Zoom just amplifies. Sure. Okay. There's, you know, who's sitting over my shoulder listening to everything, whispering in my ear their thoughts on it. Suddenly you've got the team of jurors in the family. You know, so it's a whole new world with Zoom out there. I know there's been some Zoom trials. Uh, I know the technological uh, burden on the court system was was high uh, because what you got to do is every juror has to hear every word at the same time. So if someone has a technical glitch, we got to back up and have everyone hear it again.
1: No, oh, it's a disaster. I know they're using software to prevent other windows from opening up in their computer and from you viewing other things while a Zoom screen is open. But yeah, you can't prevent someone from standing over the shoulder and maybe, you know, what you might hear or see that's outside the control or the uh, auspicy of the, the the rest of the jury and the judge and the lawyers involved.
2: Yeah. And anytime you've got a computer involved, uh, there are people that are going to be smart enough to manipulate it.
1: Where there's a will is a way. I'm not one of those people. Neither am I.
2: Yeah, I, I have trouble hooking up the printer, but, you know, there's people out there creating ransomware and everything else that. With the stuff they can do, I have no doubt they can hack into the jury system. And in fact, kind of anecdotally, and we're getting a little off track, there was a, I want to say a trial of a kid here in Tampa. Uh, And it had to do with some internet, basically an internet scam, you know, stealing some Bitcoins from people by taking over famous people's Instagram accounts and saying, hey, if you send me this money, I'll double it and send it back. Right. And they took over these verified accounts. When he went to trial, it was Zoom at the hearing. Well, somebody, presumably one of his friends, took over the Zoom link and started playing porn in the middle of the courthouse during the during the hearing. I remember that. Yeah.
1: That was a national news story.
2: Yeah. So if that can happen, I mean, if you can play porn and drop it in the middle of the hearing, who what can't you do?
1: Yeah, that's that's what makes these uh, online trials so vulnerable. They're open to so much more manipulation and... uh Just crude, awful behavior that you won't see in a courtroom itself.
2: Well, crude and awful behavior, but think about this, Matt. You know, if we've Mm got a $100 million case, okay, not in a $50,000 case, but in a $100 million case, who's to say that someone hasn't invested into software that when I say, hey, this is what I'm showing to the juror, someone else is putting something else up that pops up on their side of the screen. Hey, here's the x-ray showing the broken bone and the jurors see a clean x-ray. You know, there's no there's so many different ways to manipulate both the process and 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 sort of the display of information when we go in the in the fully virtual world.
1: Stan, give us some more information about how uh, the consumers can find us if they need to retain the services of a competent, experienced trial lawyer for personal injury case.
2: Well, Matt, as you well know, okay, we've got one of the largest personal injury websites in the nation. Okay, if Mm -hmm. you go out there, there's just about if you've got a question Okay, if we don't have an answer to it, it's because we haven't thought of the question yet. Because we basically have thrown everything on our internet website at dolmanlaw.com that people may want to know. I mean, that is one of the richest internet websites out there. We give millions of uh, visitors, so we have a ton of information out there. So I would say the best way to reach us is go dolmanlaw.com. And Matt, that's something you you started several years ago and it's just, it's blown up. Matt was really- Yeah,
1: it's now among law firms is the second most traveled personal injury law firm website in the country. So the firm is Dolman Gipe Accident Injury Lawyers. And you can reach us anytime at 833-55-CRASH. We're available 24 seven. The phones will always get answered by at least an answering service if we're sleeping in bed, but we're gonna get right back to you. You know, we pride ourselves on providing personal attention. We try to separate ourselves from the high-volume personal injury lawyers you will find advertising and television and radio by being accessible and, again, giving that personal touch. If you need to reach us, I'm Matt Dolman. That's Stan Guype. This wraps up another episode of David versus Goliath.
0: This episode of David versus Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N or call 866-965-6242.